Welcome to this week's edition of the NinersNation.com Better Rivals Podcast. My name is Oscar Aparicio, and this week, free agency is officially here, and the 49ers have been moving around. Tom Brady went to a Bay Area after all. It just so happened that Bay was Tampa. And with me this week to speak his truth and tell us why he's been a lifelong Cardinals fan, it's David Newman. I have not. No, I'm not. No, I'm not doing that. Oh, I thought you'd be firmly, firmly on the uh, the DeAndre Hopkins uh, train at this point. Oh, absolutely. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's going to it should hopefully be fun. But, you know, hey, as we saw last year with uh, with the Browns, sometimes, you know, you're promising rookie quarterback. He's still not ready to go yet in year two. You have some hiccups. But hey, it on paper seems like it could be fun. He may not hit his growth spurt. It may not happen for him next year. He may have to wait a whole <laughs> another year. Uh, I'd be waiting longer than that. <laughs> and it's a whole new world. You got quarterbacks everywhere at this point. Teddy Two Gloves is in Carolina. You've got Tom Brady, Tampa Bay. Philip Rivers is in Indianapolis. You've got Nick Foles, who's now in Chicago. Uh, I mean, basically everyone's moving and shaking. They're, they're moving all around. It's a whole new world. Um, and, and it's a whole new world, too, because basically the global pandemic is taking over. Um, and, and basically, before we get into the Niners stuff, just quick PSA. We don't do too many of them here on the Better Rivals pod, but stay home. This is a really, really serious thing, and it's going to require a lot of us to work together to really flatten the curve and not infect a lot of people. Um, and unfortunately, it's not just about you, but the people that you may unwittingly infect, because chances are you're probably relatively young, don't have a lot of respiratory issues, but you may pass that virus on to someone else. And when that health system gets overloaded, because, you know, we've got a great one and doctors are having to choose between giving a bed to a 60 year old person who might die or a 40 person who might die. That's just not the kind of stuff that doctors should be having to choose between. So just do your part. Stay in. Obey the orders. Don't go out and act a fool. Don't be out on a beach during spring break like we saw some people who do here in Texas. Wonderful freaking state that we've got here um, and, and work from home if you can. Um, and. For the rest of you that are maybe in the service industry with restaurants closing down and stuff like that, man, it just we feel for you because that's it's going to be tough, man. It's going to be really tough. It's it's crazy out there. Uh, strong cosine. Um, much lighter note. I feel like I've been preparing for social distancing my entire life. We we are like, recording. It's all come to this moment. We're we are recording this remotely. This, this is basically what David's been training for. This is his weird ass flu game at this point. It's like he doesn't have the flu. But he's really engaging in all the things that he's learned over the course of his career. He, I, he it's in a dark cave. Trust me, it's very, very dark. My the, wife is like going absolutely insane. Like she's been, you know, locked up in the house basically for what going on two weeks now or so since she started working from home, um, and is just going absolutely crazy. And I'm like, like literally, not a single thing in my life has changed. Yeah, I, we started watching The Sopranos because I've actually never seen The Sopranos. Ever. I've never seen one episode. So I was like, you know what? Got some extra time on the hands. Don't have to drive into work. Let's go go ahead and fire this puppy up. We're six episodes in. I had to stop it a little early to, to get on the, the pod. And wow, that's why you bumped it back 10 goddamn minutes. I did. That that's exactly absolutely why. Bullshit. That's exactly why I bumped the pod back 10 minutes. I had to get I had to get to it. He's talking. He's talking to a therapist. Things are getting real. I'm in the middle of episode six. It's good. All right. It's very, very good. Um, but man, so free age, I did not think that the lead up to free agency was going to be a whole hell of a lot of, of stuff. I thought it was going to be, okay, we're probably going to try to re-sign some players. And then all of a sudden, it's like, all right, holy, holy shit. The Niners are doing this really, really big deal. And it kind of flies in the face of the biggest takeaway, which is the one we thought we had going into the week, which is 
the Niners are really good w- with their team. They're good with their plan. And basically, they feel like, well, we almost won the Super Bowl. We can do it again. Let's try to run it back. And, and that basically, all of their moves are in that vein, except for one glaring exception. Right. Yeah, it, it, it's a little wild. And it's kind of like a move that flies in the face of not only what they're trying to accomplish, it seems, this year, um, but just the way that they seem to have approached team building like throughout the time that Lynch and Shanahan have been there. Right. It's kind of like we're going to go, we're going to identify our guys. And once we get them at whatever cost we feel like that takes, like then they're here. And and that's like, we're going to try to keep them here. Right. As long as we can essentially. And so it was weird to see them like make a move that Honestly, like I think is as much as it hurts to lose a player like Buckner and as much as like as a fan that sucks from a purely like football team building perspective makes a lot of sense. No, I think so, too. And at first I was on a roller coaster with these moves because at first I saw the the details for Armstead. And when it became clear that the Niners were signing him to such a big deal, you see the initial numbers and it's like, okay. 84, 85 million dollars, you know, at this point, we're well conditioned. Wait for the structure, wait for the structure. But it seemed pretty clear the Niners picked Armstead over Buckner. And and then you're like, I don't know if they're going to be able to pay Buckner. And then you're like, oh, they're going to trade him. And you're like, oh, man, they really picked Armstead over Buckner. And at that point, I was kind of scratching my head. I'm like, oh, man, this is going to be a really interesting pod. But then you see the return and you're like, oh, okay, like, I kind of get it. And the more I think about it, the more I really like this move. Right. I, I think when you look at them together right now, like I, I totally agree with you 100% of the way on like as things are unfolding, just kind of kind of scratching my head a little bit and like wondering what's going on. You know, like as we talked about in the preview pod, um, you know, we we didn't think Armstead was really a guy that they should look to keep because in our mind, you know, preparing to sign, you know, extend a guy like Buckner was just something that was felt kind of inevitable with this team, right? It's kind of like the Kittle extension. Like, yeah, it was just a thing that's going to happen. It's more a matter of when than if. Um, and so, yeah, you see that signing come in and it was like, oh man, they're going to go that route. And then you see the Buckner thing come in and, and it's like that same sort of reaction of like, oh God, this sucks. Why are they doing, why are you doing this? But when you look at it kind of stepping back after all of it's done, you get the full compensation in there. Um, I think, I think it makes a lot of sense. I mean, obviously they needed to get a little bit of draft capital, um, and that was going to be important. And I don't think it is now as clear as like they're blatantly choosing Armstead over Buckner, right? It's a little bit more complicated than that. So you look at the details of the deal and we're going to talk a lot about these deals in this episode using a concept uh, basically where we're looking at the likely to be earned dollars in that contract. I think if if we've learned anything from Pragmarate in the time that he's been constructing contracts for the 49ers, it's that you can't just look at the total number of dollars. You can't look at average per year. Even the guaranteed money has a lot of little caveats in there that the Niners can get out of. Just ask Colin Kaepernick. And so I think ultimately what we're going to look at is the likely to be earned dollars on a deal. And usually... That's the money in the first three years because chances are that player is not going to get cut in the first three years. Now, there are a couple of exceptions to this. The exceptions would be if they're obvious rip cords built into every year or every couple of years. And so in those cases, then maybe we'll take a look at just two years or maybe in some cases even one year. But generally speaking, it's the first three years of that deal. And when you look at Armstead and Buckner and their contracts over the first three years, 
You look at Armstead's deal and he's going to cost 38 and a half million cap dollars. That's just 12.6 million per year. Now, why am I using the term cap dollars? It's because we don't really care how much cash he's going to earn or how much cash he's going to get. Unless you're the Raiders and you're trying to pay Khalil Mack, every NFL team has a ton of money and cash isn't an issue. So really the issue is the, the hard limiter that you get from the league in terms of roster construction, and that's the amount of cap that you have to spend. And so we're going to look at it really in cap dollars. And when you look at Armstead, it's 38.5 million cap dollars over the first three years. You look at Buckner, it's 56.5 million. So when people are like, oh, well, it's just two or three million dollars more per year, it really isn't. It's, it's quite a bit more of a delta when you're looking at how much money they're going to count against the cap over the first three years. And so then you take a reduced salary. When you take the likely compensation for Armstead, which was maybe a trade, which at best would have been like a second or third rounder, or next year's compensatory pick, which may have been a third or fourth rounder. And you're like, okay, I can have DeForest Buckner at a top defensive interior salary and maybe at best a third rounder or Armstead at a more reasonable salary, the 13th overall pick getting back into the draft game now. And on balance, I, I don't see how that's not a good deal for the 49ers. Right. You always have to consider the opportunity cost involved, right? So it's it's not just about that player, like player for player, right? It's all of the other pieces that kind of get folded in there with that and and what you would lose out had you on had you like tried to keep Buckner around and pay him that money, right? So all of these things kind of factor in. Um, but I think absolutely when you you look at the 13th overall pick is so big because it just gives them a little bit of flexibility here in a draft where they have very little draft capital compared to what we're, we're kind of used to seeing them have available to them entering draft season. Um, it, it obviously puts them now on the radar to fill, I think, what is now their their most significant remaining need, which is at wide receiver. They, they become they have the potential to be involved with some of the top players there. But they could also now look to move back. You have two first round picks. You can look to trade back from one of those spots, try to pick up some of those things that you're missing on day two. Uh, and, and you get a more full draft class, right, than than what you were looking like you were going to have uh, just a couple days ago. So I think absolutely once you factor those things in. And I think from just a pure on field standpoint as well, I don't think that it's, it's that big of a drop off, right? Like, do I think DeForest Buckner is a better player than Eric Armstead? Yes, absolutely. Do I think he is that significantly like better than Armstead that he's worth that extra money and, and not getting the 13th overall pick in exchange for him? No. Like, I think while they have played, different positions in this defense due to kind of like necessity and in, in the construction of what their defensive line looks like right now. I do think you can absolutely use Armstead more inside and more in a three tech role to take some of those snaps that you're now missing from Buckner. So yes, Buckner is, is a great player. I think he's a much safer player than Armstead. He's just been an absolute machine being on the field, constantly being consistent in his production. Um, but I think it is a, a worthwhile risk to take may what is going to like maybe be a mild step back in production on the field and to me it's a really surprising move from the 49ers because i wouldn't expect them to have made a move like this i was kind of and the questions are really coming in is like okay is deforest buckner really worth getting like is he in that aaron donald territory i think the answer is clearly no and and, and he's getting paid in roughly that same territory I and mean, currently he is the second highest paid defensive interior lineman in the nfl 
But when you look at players like Cameron Hayward, Grady Jarrett, Stefan Tuitt, Chris Jones, even an aging Fletcher Cox at this point, I think there's an argument to be made that all of those players are better than DeForest Buckner. And yet DeForest Buckner is going to command a salary that is is as though he is head and shoulders, not head and shoulders above them, but in that category. And I don't know that he is quite yet. He is very durable and he's very good. But he was going to be one of those players that was going to be rewarded by the Niners for being here and, and getting that money and being a solid locker room guy and being a defensive captain and part of the culture. And, and those things are valuable. But the Niners made the really tough decision to say those things are valuable, but maybe we shouldn't be the team that pays for that. And yeah. it's, it's a shrewd move. It really is. But it's a damn good move. And it's a team. It's a move that smart teams make. It's a move that keeps teams on top. And it's a move that you just look at and you're like, man, I didn't know that you had that in you, but I'm glad that you do. <laughs> exactly. Right. I, I think it, it is uh, a little surprising that they decided that they were going to pull this off. But like, I completely agree. It's with Buckner. It's such a tough spot, I think, for a lot of fans because he is so good. He's one of the best players, you know, just as we were um, looking at the roster and kind of breaking down where we would put these guys and how they fit into the overall puzzle. Like he was one of the guys that we had as a tier one player, right? The kind of best players on the team that, that are guys that are kind of these cornerstone pieces that you build around. Um, but I do think it's important to mention that like he is not approaching that Aaron Donald level, right? Like he is not on that same stratosphere as a player, as good as he is. He's one of those guys, you know, I think the interior right now, like that three tech spot, especially um, is so loaded right now that there are like, 15 guys that everybody refers to as top five interior defensive linemen, right? Um, it's just so loaded right there. There's so many good players that when you actually start kind of listing them out and looking at all of the good players that, that play that position. Yeah. I, I think he is, uh, you know, in that kind of like top 15 conversation, but he's very much not an elite like game wrecking Aaron Donald type of impact player on a snap for snap basis. That's just not who he's been. I mean, hell DJ reader just signed a free agent deal. That was not in that same kind of stratosphere. Um, and he plays, I think in some ways, con- he's, his style is very different than DeForest Buckner, but in terms of quality of play along the interior, he's right up there. Um, you know, so, so I think that you've got, this was, this was just, it was smart. It was really smart. And it's the one move yep. that's kind of confusing because it, it goes against the grain of everything the Niners have done in free agency which is try to keep the magic of 2019 intact. Because across all of their other deals, you look at really everything is about keeping everything the way that you have it and, and the way that you want it. And I think the last thing that I'll say here about the deal is that the getting back to that 13th pick is huge. Being able to get one of the top three wide receivers, it's absurd at this point. I mean, could you imagine at this point, the way the board falls, you're gonna, you're probably gonna have your pick of Lamb, Rugs, or Jerry Judy, and the Raiders pick ahead of the Niners. But if they don't pick Jerry Judy, you could get the number one wide receiver on the board, in my opinion. Uh, and and even if you don't go with Judy, even if you think that Rugs or Lamb is better for one reason or another, I mean, Ceedee Lamb's comp is DeAndre Hopkins at this point, and and so I mean, that's just that's a game changing wide receiver. At that point, you've got a young Kittle on the first year of his second contract very soon. You've got Debo Samuel. You've got a young, uh, really good wide receiver that's cost-controlled. You've got Jimmy Garoppolo, whose deal doesn't look super bad. Now, all of a sudden, offense, you've got some pieces 
that aren't taking up a bunch of your cap. And that's a really solid place for the Niners to be if indeed they choose to go that route. And if they don't and trade down, then there's still some value at wide receiver a little later in that uh, in the, on the board. But you still then get more picks that you can bolster your roster with a little bit later. It really is just a fantastic place to be in at this point. Right. Yeah, I think adding, you know, we, we obviously haven't spent a ton of time talking about draft stuff yet, and, and we're not going to do that right now. But I mean, we're looking at a potentially like historic draft class of wide receivers, right? Like there are a ton of receivers in this class who are going to be very good pros for a long time. Um, and so the opportunity, you know, we always talk about whether it's in free agency or the draft, like go to where the strengths are, right? You want to be able to kind of match up that need that you have with what the strength of that offseason is. And this is an opportunity for the 49ers to, okay, yes, we know they need a receiver. Let's go out and get one of the best ones available in what's going to be a very strong, good class that has a ton of great options. Whatever style of receiver you want to go and get, you can add them in this draft. And so, uh, yeah, I, I think having that flexibility now to like you said, have the cost controlled options because that's something they need considering where they're spending money elsewhere. Now, the Niners basically outside of the deforest, outside of the two ducks, which if I were making a 30 for 30, that's what I would call it. The two ducks uh, outside of that. Don't scoff at me, David Newman. I love that. I love that joke. Just wait till we get to my tight end uh, joke that I've got later in the in the show. I've got it queued right. up in the hopper, my friend. It's we are going to Daddington Corner and we are never coming back. It's going to be great. Um, but really th that move was the only one that went against the grain of trying to keep the magic of 2019 intact. And the contract structures that the Niners doled out really reflected the new reality they find themselves in because whereas before the 49ers could really front load contracts or really structure them in creative ways to give themselves rip cords at this point, they're structuring contracts just to be able to sign these players in ways that may have repercussions later if those players end up not panning out. Right. Yeah, I think it, it's uh, we've definitely hit the point where the switch has been made, right? There's no more front loading. There's no more. We have endless cap space and it's more a matter of like, like we know that there's no chance we're going to be able to spend all of this money. What do we want to do with it? Right. They, they're no longer in that position. Um, they are now much closer up against the cap. And, and so we're seeing them now look to get kind of these salary cap hits in 2020 down as much as possible so we can kind of pack in as much uh to the season as we can with the cap space that we have available and we're going to push some of these big hits you know you look at somebody like armstead again who we we talked about um what you you look at what his average per year is you know and just you take that on its face 17 million but he's really only making six million this year and then you see those numbers balloon each year after that right so you're you're kind of pushing the uh, the, the penalty back for these big contracts a little bit, uh, for another year or two. And I think one thing that we have to assume with Marate and, and the way that these team, this team is like managed the cap for as long as he's been there is we know they're really not going to mismanage things as far as the cap's concerned, right? You can kind of take issue with specific players or how they value positions from like an evaluation standpoint, but you know that whoever they decide to bring in, they're going to make it work and make it make sense for them from a cap perspective. And so the, the reality that now these contracts are switching to be more backloaded is a very intentional thing. Um, and I think it, it kind of speaks to what they expect the cap to do in the coming seasons. 
Yeah, because really what they're expecting is that cap to rise. And so they're they're strategically kicking the can down the line. The, the cap is supposedly rumored to be uh, t- to jump as high as two hundred and forty million dollars next year when really a lot of the money for the new CBA kicks in. But then you look at 2022 and let's say it doesn't go up to 240 next year. Let's say it just goes up to like 215 or, or does that $10 million incremental jump that it's been doing the last few years. When the new TV deals get signed in 2022, there's some provisions in the new CBA that indicate that if there's a, a big enough deal that the players get more money and it's a half percent more, but that half percent more could mean that the cap then balloons quite a bit. So now all of a sudden, if you've kicked the the big salary cap numbers into a year like 2022, as the Niners have done with someone like Eric Armstead, now all of a sudden, that deal seems a bit more palatable and you've got some additional wiggle room to work with in 2022. So it is really, it's forward looking and it's forward thinking about the way they've structured these deals, which is again, why I think you, you need to just look at like, okay, what are they going to earn in these two, three years? What are the cap dollars in those two, three years? Because in two or three years, the cap, as we functionally know it, may not matter as much as it does today. Right. And I think, you know, that reality and kind of uncertainty really with, with what the cap is going to do beyond we just know it's going to to go up at least some, right, because of uh, how much the uh, how much money the NFL is bringing in. But it, it's going to be, yeah, like it's a little bit more uncertain with how much, how significant that's going to go up. And it can really change the way that we end up looking at these deals, right? Things that if we assume a more typical increase in the cap numbers, the way that it's been going now, you could look at some of these decisions and be like, man, I don't, I don't know that that makes a lot of sense. Like that it really kind of is going to make things strapped in, in the next couple of years. But if the cap suddenly jumps $40 million, then none of it really matters. Right. And, and we look at these contracts a little bit differently, but there is a little bit of risk, right? Part of the risk is that the cap may not jump as much as you think it, as much as Pragmarate, obviously and the 49ers think that it will. The other risk is that now, because you've basically baked in higher signing bonuses, these contracts are a little bit harder to get written to get out of. The, the rip cores aren't as obvious with very little or minimal cap impact. You look at someone like Eric Armstead, who him and Jimmy Ward really, uh, and we'll get to Jimmy Ward here in a minute, but they received the most amount of money from the 49ers. Eric Armstead's rip cord is after year three, but it would still come with an $11.3 million dead money hit. That's more dead money than the Niners have had probably in the last two or three years yeah. combined. That's not a ripcord. That's a, I'm pulling this only if my life absolutely depends on it, but I hope there's a better, safer way to do this. Yeah, that's, like, uh, <laughs> yeah, that, that's I mean, a backup in, shoot. In all reality, <laughs> they're going to be like barring a restructure, which, you know, is always on the table here. But even a restructure is going to like the year that they do it could potentially make things more difficult for that season because the way that that it works with the restructure, right, is it kind of like what happens when you were to release a player. Basically, you have that signing bonus money that you, that is now a lot higher than it typically has been in with 49er contracts in the recent past. Um, that number is higher. It gets spread out over the life of the deal. So you have a deal like Eric Armstead that's five years. His has some, you know, a little creative twist in there. But just for simplicity's sake, we have a $25 million signing bonus spread over five years. Well, if you try to get rid of them after the second year, that 15 million that's left all comes on to that year's cap, right? So that's how it works. Whenever you look to get rid of a player or restructure his deal, that money is guaranteed that signing bonus money. So it's all going to come eventually. It's going to be charged to your cap in some way. 
It's just a matter of like when that's going to come based on whether you keep him for the full life of the contract or whether you do something before that's up to have some of that accelerate onto the deal. So $11 million, which is like what uh, $11.5 million, which is what it would take to get out of Armstead's contract after year three is not something that the 49ers have, have shown that they're kind of willing to take, right? They have one of the lowest amounts of dead money on their cap, uh, really season after season, this season, no exception. Like they don't like to take on a lot of dead money. So like, really you're looking at probably 2023 before, uh, Eric Armstead is you're at that point, you're entering the final year of his contract. He's going to be 31 years old. Like who knows if we're going to want to pay Eric, a 31 year old Eric Armstead, you know, 21, $22 million or whatever his cap hit is that year. The other player that got a lot of money is Jimmy Ward. And when you look at the structure of his deal, his likely to be earned is really two or three years. He sees just $2.6 million in dead money if he's cut after two years in 2022. Uh, so there's an out just ahead of that year. But when you look at his cap number, if you look at his cap dollars over the next two years, you're looking at about $16 million, which is $8 million per year over two years. That's a pretty palatable number for a safety, uh, especially a safety that played as well as Jimmy Ward did last year. It's the kind of value that you would expect from a player that played really, really well, but has some uncertainty because of injury and because he just didn't play all that well previously because he was moving around position. So there was, I think, a bit of a discount there. And I think while it may not have been a total hometown discount, I think it was a hometown structural discount in getting just a small amount of cap hit this year to be able to sign players next year. But this is a really palatable deal. It's something that I thought the Niners should do at a position that they really needed to get a safety at. So again, it's kind of just running it back. This is what they wanted to do, retain their core, retain their players. And, and Jimmy Ward is like chief example of that. Right. I mean, both players look Armstead and Ward, the guys they gave the, the, the most significant money to, um, both had similar concerns, right. Coming into this, it was, they, they've struggled with injuries. They've struggled to be on, on the field for a full season and their performance has kind of been up and down as a result, but they both managed to stay, mostly healthy and put together career years in 2019. Right. And so I think these deals reflect a little bit of that uncertainty, but it is the 49ers very much banking on the positive end of that kind of outcome spectrum, right? That they're thinking that we're going to get closer to the guy we got in 2019 than the guys that we were getting prior to that point. And, and there is, you know, always a chance that when you're paying for those kind of career year guys, there's a chance that they fall off and, and resemble something that's a lot closer to what they were for those first few years um, where they're not on the field a lot. They're not playing at quite a, as high of a level. So there is a little bit of risk there. But this is kind of the theme, again, of a lot of the 49ers decisions is they're going to kind of bank on the internal guys and, and their ability to develop those players. Yeah, when you look at players like Justin Simmons or Anthony Harris, who were really more at the top of the market safety they are getting $13, $14 million a year as, as the franchise tag at this point, which I think is $14 million. And, and I think that Delta really accounts for... I, I feel like that difference is, is the right difference. It's like those players are probably $14 million players. Jimmy Ward, because of his history, probably closer to an 8 or $9 million player. I, I think that checks out. I think that makes sense. It, it's a deal that probably ends up getting the the Niners some value, even if it's not going to be as much value as they got last year when he, when I think Ward made somewhere near like 5 million or whatever. Um, but the Niners seemingly, especially over the last couple of days, can't seem to quit running backs because that's, that's the other big takeaway from free agency. Uh, and this segment is brought to you by David Newman. Uh, the lies. The <laughs> you got to stay on brand, David. 
But Matt, this Rita, is not my brand. This is you put this on me. This is your fault. I did. I did. Uh, just just like Candyman, say it three times in the mirror in the dark. Uh, is it three times or five times? I forget. But you uh, die violently. Uh, and, and for you, talking about running backs is dying violently inside every time we have to do it. Inside. But we're going to do bit. it. Uh, on the with inside, my friend. Matt Breida, second round tender. Tell me your thoughts. Tell me your feelings. Imagine. Have you seen The Sopranos, incidentally? Uh, I have not seen all of it. Um, it's been, I remember very little of it uh, at this point, but I started watching. I think I, ma- I got through like part of season two a long time ago, and then I just never ended up being able to finish it. But I, it's on the list. I want to go back and watch it. At some all point. right. Well, imagine that I'm the therapist on the other end of this table and you're a mobster. I'm going to give you the, the HR voice, the vocal fry. Just put that all in your head. Tell me what you're feeling about this bad breed of deal. Look, I don't know what there is to, to continue. Like, I feel like at this point, you either understand the conversation around running backs and are on board with it, or you just completely reject it and you don't want to hear anything that I have to say about it. Like, that's pretty much where we're at. Like, none of this stuff is new. Um, Running backs are not worth paying a significant amount of money. Um, It's just the reality of it. There are a lot of good ones out there. Um, There are, especially for like the system and, and the way that the 49ers use running backs and have shown that they can get the maximum amount out of those players in their system, um, those guys are plentiful. They're out there. They're readily available. You don't have to pay them a lot of money. Um, there is certainly no reason to say that, like, we can only get this production out of this one, or in the 49ers case, these four players or however many we <laughs> want to load up on this fucking roster. Uh, it's just, yeah, it, it just doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, I'm, I'm surprised they tendered him at the second round level only because yeah. they like he seemed to be getting phased out at the end of the year. And, and that to me is a surprising bit that he he seemed I mean, he, he didn't get a single snap in the Super Bowl. And here he is getting tendered at the, at the second round, which is three point two million dollars. That's not an insignificant chunk of change when you're really kind of splitting hairs at the end of this cap number, trying to figure out how to sign guys and re-sign guys. So, look, I'm, I'm happy that Matt Breed is back on the roster, at least for one more year. And I'm happy for him individually because $3.2 million is more. Well, and and he, there is the small chance that he negotiates a deal with another team and ends up leaving. And and if he does, the Niners get a second round pick in, in return, which would be yeah, a hell of a return. Not happen. No, it's not happening. But there's a small chance that happens. But $3.2 million is still is still nothing to scoff at. I mean, that's that's about what... Tevin Coleman is making this year and and you know then the Niners also doubled down with Jarek McKinnon a bit and they also and that deal was a bit more difficult to understand because they effectively had to cut him take the cap hit and then sign him to a one-year deal that was the veteran minimum so his cap hit this year because of his accelerated bonus that hit this year is really somewhere near like uh, just north of three or four million dollars even though he's only going to make nine hundred and ten thousand dollars on the year. Yeah, no, it's so his cap it's going to be right around five million dollars once you. Is it four point so eight is where it came? Right? Uh, so no, do you say three point eight? No, four point eight. Yeah, four. I think four point eight, four point nine, somewhere in there. Yeah, just under under five. So essentially, you have uh four million dollars worth of signing bonus money that accelerates to this season. So that's your starting point. You've got nine hundred and ten thousand dollars is your veteran minimum salary for a player uh, with his experience. Um, And then there are some potential, like there's some roster bonuses and stuff like that that he could earn. However, because he hasn't 
played a down of football in the last two seasons. Those are considered not likely to be earned. So they don't count against this year's cap. If he does happen to meet those, they would count against the 2021 cap is, is kind of how that cap math works. But yeah, so you're looking at just a little under uh, 5 million here. And that gives you, I mean, so this is, is kind of where I'm at the last, the last thing um, that I will say kind of about running backs and, and why valuing them, at least for this season is going to matter, right? Cause we kind of mentioned if the, the cap balloons and suddenly teams have an extra $40 million of cap space, like honestly, none of it really matters. Like they're, they're going to all figure it out. They're going to be able to have the flexibility they need to still go and get other players. But for at least 2020 with uh, a cap that actually came in a little bit less than what a lot of people anticipated. And now with a team like 49ers being more up against that and you have, you do have for 2020s purposes, limited resources available to you. You are devoting significant resources to the two least important and least valuable positions on your roster. There are 25 running backs or fullbacks set to make at least $3 million, have cap hits of $3 million in 2020. Five of them, 20% of those players are on the 49ers roster currently. You throw in the money that they're paying to specialists, Robbie Gold, one of the highest paid kickers in football. These are by far your two least valuable positions on the roster. Like it's not even close. If, if quarterback is like a stratosphere above the other positions at the top of the importance list, these guys are in their own bucket well below the other positions. Like it's not even really debatable how much less important these positions are. Uh, the 49ers are spending significantly more money. I think about depending on where if you look at McKinnon's, I think now that we have his deal, um, they're at about like seven million dollars more than the next closest team. When you look at combined cap hits at those two spots. If you drop them down to just say league average, right? I'm not even saying like you go full opposite end of the spectrum and you're just not spending any money in these spots. You just bump them down to around league average. We're looking at about $17 million that that frees up for this year's cap. That is the difference between adding a, an, an impact player, potentially multiple impact players, right? That is having the, the freedom to go out and say, well, maybe we don't have to, you know, I don't know that this is how I would use that, but like, you could say, hey, we want we we now have the the cap space to sign Buckner. We can do that this year and fit that cap in there. Or we could go out and like get we could pay Amari Cooper, try to woo him away from the Cowboys and get him as a top receiver. We could go get Byron Jones and put him across from Richard Sherman and and pay him the contract that he got in there. Right. You can go out and get a big time player at the top of the market that can really potentially help you get over the hump from your from your, you know, just Super Bowl nearly, you know, being able to make it there. But instead, you're paying four, five running backs and a kicker that that can't move that needle for you, that they are not going to get you over that hump. But then how so that's else, why it matters. But then how else would I go to you into wonderful diatribes that so eloquently break down cap stuff in the way that I have just now? I don't I don't know how else I could needle you. Nobody wants it. to hear it, though. Like, that's <laughs> the thing is like every, it's been going on for so long at this point. Um, I'm sure that there are people that like absolutely like skipped forward five minutes in the podcast is because they're tired of like hearing the shit. And I don't blame like it's it's gets tired of talking about it. But like that's that's the difference. That's like that's why it matters. Yeah. So for, for me, I, I agree. And I think ultimately the I've got to believe that Jerick McKinnon and Tevin Coleman are really fighting over one spot. Because Tevin Coleman is a zero cap hit player at this point. If he gets cut, 
his three and a half million dollars or so are gone and there's no cap hit. And Jarek McKinnon's dead money is effectively already on the cap. Like whether he stays on the roster or whether he doesn't, that, that dead money has already accelerated and already hit. Um, I let you go down those rabbit holes just in case there's one human out there who still is holding on to that running back truth and they're clinging. Yeah. And, and oh, then, there's more than one. Oh, I know there are. Um, but we're just, you know, just ever so gently kicking them uh, away from the helicopter as it flies away uh, is really, really what we're doing. Um, but that's, I mean, in terms of deals, like that's, there are some other deals that the Niners could do in terms of actual, actual free agency. But I feel like most of their stuff is basically done. At this point, my hope of, of signing Emmanuel Sanders is relatively low. Is it possible? Sure. But I don't think it's likely. I think the more likely types of players that you might see in free agency are players like Demontre Moore. Those players that are in that replaceable area but have some value and have been able to play well that the Niners could have cheaply. I mean, you look at their other deals that they've signed so far, still very much consistent with keeping the core together. Ronald Blair, one-year deal. Sean Coleman, one-year deal. Um, the details on those deals haven't come out, but I can't imagine it was too expensive because they're coming off of injury. You've got Ben Garland, who signed for just about like just north of $2 million, and another just kind of good depth piece in terms of center. Um, Kendrick Bourne got a second-round tender, and, and I mean, in terms of what the Niners are going to do to their roster... I feel like they're kind of done unless something yeah. crazy wild happens. And really it's going to be, let's look towards the draft because now it's really exciting. Right. I think the, the only significant moves that I would expect to potentially be done before the draft is really if, if they do decide to move out of one of those first round picks before the draft, right? If they, if they don't wait yeah. and do that as more of like a draft day thing. Um, but as far as like, like you said, adding significant players in free agency, I agree. I, th- I think they have pretty much by getting that 13th pick. Um, I, I'm sure they feel confident that they can go out and get a receiver that they like there. Um, and, and that's how they're going to address that need. And it seems like they're comfortable with that. And, and they obviously had the focus of trying to keep that defense intact and, and get everybody back there. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think that the big stuff for this offseason until draft time is, is probably done for them. There were a couple of players that the Niners were in on that I thought were, were interesting because I wouldn't have ex- expected them to be in on the Austin Hooper sweepstakes, which I guess they were in for a very small amount of time. It, the, the logic is that they wanted someone to take to basically give George Kittle a rest because he does everything so well. He plays a lot of snaps. And, and that's fine, but based on what Austin Hooper ended up getting in terms of money, I can't imagine the Niners were in for very long. Um, they probably went in thinking he was going to get a reasonable free agent deal, and then he did not, based on the type of player that he is. So, hey, good for Austin Hooper. Very, very pro players getting money, but uh, yep. I'm glad the Niners went out, and, or were out on that sweepstakes. They, I mean, at this point, just based on the way their team's constructed, unless they get like another third tight end that kind of just falls through the cracks... Probably something they'll address in the draft, but nothing too crazy. Uh, Levine Toy uh, Lolo, you can't even see it fits so well. You can't even understand what I'm doing there. Uh, there's an LOL in his last name because that dude got six million dollars. Currently, uh, Levine Toy Lolo. That's like I can't even like emphasize how funny it is in my own head. He uh, he now actually counts as a seventh round projected compensatory pick for the Niners based on the contract that he signed. 
Now, do I think that's going to go away? Yes, because already has. Oh, has already it? Okay. got scratched. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah, this is, of course, over the cap. They project what the compensatory picture going to be. But the NFL only doles out 32 of them. And, and he was like the 32nd one. He was holding on by a thread and free agency <laughs> hadn't started yet. So, uh, man, if the Niners end up getting a compensatory pick for uh, good old Toy Lolo, I'm, I would be that would be hilarious. I'd be surprised. But yeah, the other that I thought was interesting was Connor McGovern. He's a center guard that ended up signing a $27 million deal uh, over three years with the Jets. And I think, obviously, that everyone wanted the Niners to upgrade along the interior at guard, specifically right guard. But I didn't think they were going to be in on someone like McGovern, given his projected price tag. Uh, and, and ultimately, they didn't get him. But th- those, I think, are the, the interesting stories to me. It's like, okay, what were you trying to do? You were trying to bolster your, your interior and maybe... That's ultimately why they went after someone like Ben Garland because they swung and missed with Connor McGovern. And then we're like, well, didn't get McGovern. Let's go back to Garland. Yeah. And you always kind of wonder a little bit too, like where the reported interest is coming from, right? Like, is it agents just throwing some teams out there uh, to try to like make it seem like their client was highly sought after? You know, you always like wonder a little bit of that. But yeah, I think. A lot of times um, there's probably like probably means they at least inquired about it. Right. And were kind of interested in in what it would cost to bring that kind of player in. Um, You know, like we talked about before, interior offensive line, not a surprise that they would look to potentially upgrade there. But it just didn't seem like it was going to be an offseason where that made sense for them to do beyond like potentially looking at a, a kind of a late round draft pick. But considering they have what, nine offensive linemen currently under contract. Yeah. Uh, hell, like a late round pick might even be um, something that we don't really see this year. They seem pretty comfortable kind of going with the continuity route on the offensive line and just, um, you know, hoping that it kind of the guys that they have there are going to ultimately be enough to get it done. Yeah, I think Dan Brunskill might be the interior guy other than Garland. The The team now has eight or nine under contract. The team can suit up eight on game days, which is great. New CBA and helping out. So that's all. That's all good. Ultimately, I'm just super excited to be able to to watch Rugs, Judy, and Lamb uh, over the next little bit. I am super pumped about having that even be in my world because that was not in my world before a couple days ago, and, and I'm surprised. I know a lot of my like my brother-in-law and my and my brother they like were texting me and they were like, "Oh my God, Buckner!" And I was like, "Guys, this is great." And they're like, why is it great? And I was like, let me tell you. I was super excited because <laughs> I just it wasn't a move I thought the Niners would make. And I, it yeah. wasn't even on my radar. I was I was completely flabbergasted. But it's it's such a smart move and I love it. Um, you know, I think the the there are, I think there's a little piece of me that's like, okay, the Niners, you didn't win the Super Bowl. So maybe try to upgrade some of the pieces around your roster a little bit more and not try to run it back. But I think for me, if I'm looking at the early returns on what I think about this team so far, it's like, okay, if defense was the story of last year, the defense is going to regress a little bit. It, it, it's just going to. And, and so at this point now, it's going to be Jimmy Garoppolo who's going to have to shoulder a bit more of that load. And, and really, I think it's going to be about the development of him in the offense that's going to propel the Niners to a deep playoff run if they end up getting there. Um, and I think the new playoff structure changes this year already, right? So... There's an extra opportunity for a team to be there and an extra game, unless the Niners get the first seed, an extra game they'll have to play to get through in order to make it to the Super Bowl. So, um, 
you know, and, and so that's why I'm even doubly excited about potentially getting a wide receiver at 13 because I think it's going to be another weapon for Jimmy Garoppolo. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I uh, fully with you on the potential of getting one of the top receivers in this class. Like I, I, I'm really excited about what this class has in general. Um, you know, at 31, I think that was already where we were looking. Um, it is like hoping that there were going to be, you know, somebody available. Right. I mean, there there legitimately could be I mean, I don't know, we could see like six, seven, eight receivers go in the first round. Um and, you know, who knows how things will shake out in the spots that they'll end up falling. But at 31, obviously, you're just kind of like stuck a little bit and, and you don't have um, much say in, in kind of who you end up getting. There are enough good players at other positions that you could see a scenario where, uh, you know, receivers don't really go in the top 10. And now you're looking at 13 there and you kind of almost have your pick of the litter. So I think, yeah, absolutely. That uh, is something that could work out very well for them long term. I think, yeah, I mean, my parting thought really with how they've decided to approach this offseason is they really approach things like they're smarter than everyone, right? We, we kind of talk a lot about um, offseason approaches and roster building approaches is like giving yourselves as many chances as you can, right? Like thinking that you're kind of smarter than the market, smarter than the rest of the league that you can identify like the single players that are going to make the difference. And then you go out of your way to like pay those players, whatever it takes to get them right, which is something that we've kind of noted in previous off seasons is, is something that like, if you pick the right players, great, like that's going to work out. And I think we kind of saw it work out last year, right? History shows us though, that like you can't really sustain that for the long term. You know, you might get, a good run in there for a, for a few years and you put together a really good team and, and everything kind of works out. But generally speaking, you like you, the good teams that sustain success, give themselves a ton of opportunities, whether that's like accumulating a lot of draft picks, whether that's getting, you know, you look at like uh, new England and what they do with getting a bunch of kind of the mid round free agents and taking chances on guys when their values low, just to kind of see how, uh, if any of those guys can hit and they can kind of get excess value for it. You know, those type of approaches are the ones that we've seen historically work. And and this team right now is very much like we have identified our guys. We think that the the roster that we had last year, there's not a lot that we can do to improve on it. Like this is the group that we believe in is going to get us a Super Bowl and we're going to do everything that we can do to keep that intact. And and so I think it is in a lot of ways risky, right? I, I think there is definitely some inherent risk to that plan, but very much like hope that it works out and the, and that the, you know some of these young guys can develop and and the guys that they've decided to keep in and where they've decided to use that money like that it all plans out how pans out like the way that they see it panning out yeah i think there's risk there's some kind of risk in any plan and sure. and you know there's 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 some risk to that plan i you know, you mentioned earlier about how the this all may not matter if the cap jumps up 40 million next year I think this is where the the type of team building that Lynch and Shanahan have employed over the last couple of years can be an asset. Because if if the salary cap no longer matters and you're at a point where you've got an extra forty million to spend and everyone's got that money and now it's basically can you recruit and can you retain players that want to play for you? Then you go back to this kind of Eddie DeBartolo, we built a family, people want to come here because they get rings and we treat them well kind of mentality. And and that, I think, is the kind of culture that that Lynch and Shanahan have built. 
And in a world yeah. in where you're unencumbered by a salary cap, then the paying your guys, we've identified our players, like we're good to our players. That is, I think, something that the NFL players will see, will notice, and will maybe draw them. And, and if they're choosing between one or the other, say, yeah, you know what? I'm going to go to this place that seems and feels like a family that has some success and and is an, act, an absolute asset for the 49ers. Now, they, of course, would have to not look over here and say DeForest Buckner over here. But even then, like they they handled it well, right? Like they posted sure. something on Inst- uh, on Twitter and Instagram today that was like, "Thank you for your service, DeForest Buckner." Like legendary, always be great. Like it was very. It, it's like when you leave a company and the company is like, "Oh, that's so great! You found a new opportunity. We're so happy for you." As opposed to the job that like walks you out and and is <laughs> like your shit. Yeah, it's like, oh, you gave your two week notice. Yeah, get your shit and get the hell out of here. Like, give me your client. You know, like that's the difference, and that's how the Niners have managed it. And, and if this all indeed doesn't matter because there's a cap that's ballooned, then right. I think that the Niners have an asset that other teams don't have that that may help. And, and while there's no way to quantify that, I think that's, you know, the, that, that's the kind of stuff I'm looking at. I, I do agree it's kind of risky. I do think it would have been equally as risky to just kind of churn a bunch of people just to churn and say we had to do something different. Um, I like the Chiefs did something similar where they just didn't stand pat after losing the championship game. They added Honey Badger. They added some key pieces. The Niners went to a little different way. They said we lost, but we don't think we lost because, you know, we were talent deficient or player deficient. It was other things. Yeah. And, um, and you know, the only way that we're going to get that answer, obviously, is to kind of see how how all of it plays out. So, um, yeah, I think we're, we're going into a season where pretty much the most significant addition we're likely to get and, and change to that core unit is what they decide to do with that first round pick, um, or first round picks, um, and how kind of all of that plays out. But yeah, otherwise, I mean, they are, we're, we're bringing back the 2019 crew and, and giving another run. And with that, we bring to a close the first free agency recap. We might have another free agency recap next week, depending on what the Niners do. But if they stand pat, uh, we might skip it and watch some film on the draft picks, but it's uh, it's getting to the point now where I'm I'm kind of itching to watch some wide receivers, man. I want to watch uh, <laughs> I want to watch some actual football. I got a lot of time on my hands. Tony Soprano only takes me so far. Uh, so <laughs> y- you can find me on the twitters at Better Rivals David. Where can they follow you? Uh, that'll be at pff underscore David. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. As I, and as always, go Niners.